for me, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we are back in the Gospel of Mark, walking through Mark's Gospel. The last couple of weeks, we dealt with the issues of the cross and the resurrection, and now we go back into Mark's Gospel. Now, Mark is known uh, for his continuous activity, always on the move, always doing something. Aaron reminds me of you as you were growing up. You were always pretty active. Uh, uh, Mark's Gospel, the favorite word that is used over and over and over again is the word immediately or the word straightway. Jesus did this, then he did this, then he did this. So it is a gospel of action of showing what the Lord Jesus Christ did throughout his life here on this earth. There is not a lot of Jesus' teaching in the Gospel of Mark. The other Gospel writers give us a lot of his teaching. Mark gives us a lot of his activity. He does that in everywhere except the place we're going to deal with this morning. Okay, uh, This morning we're going to deal with some of the teachings of the Lord Jesus uh, that Mark sees fit. Through Peter. Now remember, Mark is uh, spending time with Peter. He's getting a lot of his information about what happened during Jesus' life from Peter. And now he's going to share with us some of his teaching. Now if in all of his gospel he's just talking about activity and just takes one and about one and a half chapters and deals with the teachings of Jesus, then you know those teachings must be very important. So we want to make sure we pay attention. Now we're going to start by going back to chapter 3. If you noticed in chapter 3, I, I, I did I dealt with the first part of the chapter, I dealt with the last part of the chapter, and left the middle part out. I did that for a reason, because I want to tie it into what he says in chapter 4, because what he's going to end up teaching us in chapter 4 is explaining and building upon what he says beginning in Mark chapter 3, verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem says, He, referring to Jesus, has Beelzebub, or the Lord of filth, or the Lord of the flies, or the Lord of dung. In other words, Jesus is doing all that he's doing, not by the power of God, but actually by the power of Satan. After seeing all he has done, hearing all he has said, they have made the determination he's really not from God, he's really an emissary of Satan. So he says he has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of the demons he cast out demons. So he called them to himself and said to them in parables, uh, uh, how can Satan cast out Satan? Why would Satan be working against himself? Verse 25, well, verse 24. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. In other words, Jesus says, I'm entering into enemy territory. I'm entering into Satan's uh, domain, his house. So first you've got to bind the strong man. Then he plunders his house. And that's what he was doing through the casting out 
of demons, from those who were possessed by demons. Then in verse 28 he says, uh, Surely I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever uh, blasphemies they may utter. So all sins, all blasphemies can be forgiven, but he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. Because they said, this is why Jesus is saying this, because the scribes and Pharisees had just said, he has an unclean spirit. That Jesus is doing the works that he's doing by the power and the authority of Satan and not by the power and authority of God. Now, you and I know that that which Jesus did, he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. You remember at his baptism, as he comes up out of the water, a voice from heaven calls out from the Father, and he says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Then the Holy Spirit of God descended, kind of looking like a dove as it came and sat upon him. So the works that Jesus is doing He's doing in the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, we come to this uh, one area that is usually referred to as the unpardonable sin, or the sin by, for which there can be no forgiveness. Jesus says, you can say all things you want to about me. You can speak all kinds of blasphemies. You can engage in all kinds of sins. But I want you to know all those sins can be forgiven. I'm thankful for that, aren't you? I'm thankful for the grace of God that, that, that forgives. If it wasn't for His grace, if it wasn't for His forgiveness, there would be absolutely no hope for any one of us. But He says, if you, if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, that sin will not be forgiven you in this life, nor in the life to come. You will be eternally under the condemnation of that sin. Now, as a pastor, over the years, I've had people come to me and they say, Brother Tim, I'm really concerned about something. I say, what are you concerned about? And they say, I am afraid I may have committed the unpardonable sin. I say, you think you may have committed the unpardonable sin? And I said, yeah. And I said, well, tell me, why do you believe you have committed this unpardonable sin? And then they'll explain to me why they feel like they have committed this sin. I'm just, I'm afraid God is not going to forgive me. Well, I say, if you're afraid that God won't forgive you, there's one thing I know. And they say, what? You haven't committed the unpardonable sin. Because if you had committed the unpardonable sin, you wouldn't even be concerned about needing the, the forgiveness of God. Okay, The fact that you are concerned about knowing that you need forgiveness of God for your sin lets me know God's grace is still available to you. That if you confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and go on cleansing you from all unrighteousness. So question, how do you know if you've committed the unpardonable sin? I'd like to know the answer to that question. Because if you committed this sin, 
you could never be forgiven, which means you're going to hell. You're going to hell. So, what is the unpardonable sin? I've heard all kind of people give all kind of explanations for what the unpardonable sin is, but if you read the text, he kind of tells you exactly what it is. You've got to keep it in the context of what he's just been talking about. He's been talking with the Pharisees and the Sadducees who had seen all the miracles that he had performed that attested to the fact he has come from God, he's come as God. They've heard his teachings. They have heard all that he's had to say and the fact that he's even told them that he is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's told them. They've heard everything he's had to say. They have seen everything that he's done. There's nothing else to be heard. There's nothing else to be seen. And after seeing it all and hearing it all, they come to this conclusion. He's not from God. He's a liar. He's from the devil. Well, Jesus says, after hearing it all and seeing it all, you come to the conclusion that everything I say is a lie. That I'm a liar, and everything I've said is a lie, and that I'm actually not from God, but from Satan. If that's where your heart is, your heart is so hard, you'll never turn to God for forgiveness. You'll never see truth. That can't be forgiven. I say that because he then goes on into chapter 4, and if you'll recall where we dealt with the first part of chapter 4, he tells the story or the parable of the three, or actually the four types of hearts. And he says the first heart is the heart that hears the word, but their heart is so hard. The ground of their heart is so hard. The seed does not penetrate. Satan comes along and snatches out the seed before it can penetrate the soil, and therefore it gives no life. That's the scribes and the Pharisees. That's the unpardonable sin. To have heard the message, to have seen the power of God demonstrated, to hear the full message of the gospel and determine it is a lie. Want nothing to do with it. It's from Satan, not of God. That's the unpardonable sin. That sin can't be forgiven. So in the context of the passage, and just by listening to what he just said, that is the unpardonable sin. For instance, this is what is referred to in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. How shall we escape the wrath and the judgment of God? How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Neglecting that salvation, turning away from that salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. After you have seen the power of the Holy Spirit at work among you through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You say, are there gifts of the Holy Spirit at work in this body? There better be. If the gifts of the Holy Spirit aren't working, then we just need to close up shop and go home. 
We have the gift of teaching. Preaching being presented to you as the gift of the Holy Spirit right at this moment. We have the gifts of he- the gift of helps, the gifts of service, all those wonderful gifts. Now, there are some sign gifts that are no longer in, in operation within the church, but we have the gifts of the Spirit that are needed for the strengthening and the building up of the body of Christ at work right here at Wasmasaw every single Sunday. So you've seen those working and sharing their gifts with you. You've heard the message of the gospel proclaimed. So how will you escape the judgment of God after hearing the fullness of gospel, seeing the power of God demonstrated in hearts and lives? How do you think you're ever going to get to heaven on your own apart from responding in faith and repentance to the gospel? You can't. You can't. So, it's just like he says in Hebrews chapter 6. Remember, we took a few weeks to talk about Hebrews chapter 6. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, those who have heard the message of the gospel, the full message of the gospel, who have tasted of the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, those who have seen and experienced the power of the Holy Spirit among them and have tasted the good of the Word of God. You've heard it and the powers of the age to come. Seeing God transformed hearts and lives all around you. If they fall away, if they determine that the gospel is not true, that everything we teach, everything we profess, and everything that we live is all just a lie. If they fall away to renew them again to repentance. Why? Since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. In other words, if you're here or you have a friend comes and talks to you and shares the gospel of Jesus Christ with you and you've seen the power of God at work in their lives and and there's something within you that's being drawn to respond in some way to that gospel message, but then you make the determination, no! Well, that man standing up there saying, it's just a fable. It's just a crutch for weak people trying to find something to help them get through a tough life. All this stuff is made up. This thing here was just a book written by men. This is not the Word of God. These are stories and legends that's been passed down for generations from a variety of groups of people. That is not absolute truth. It might contain some truth, but it's not truth itself. There's nothing to this. How can any person say they know the only way to God? Amongst all the people on the face of the earth and all the different religions, how can any person have the nerve to get up there and say, you come through Christ or you don't get there? Well, I want you to know I'm not the one who said it. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but through Jesus, through Him. If you make the determination after hearing it all, seeing it, it's a lie. And you turn and walk away. The Bible says, not me, the Bible says, you will never again be able to get to that place. Remember when you sense that drawing? That thing lets you know, hey, I, I, I need something. I might, I might, 
you will never again be able to get to that place again. See, the biggest lie that Satan ever gives you is not, hey, this is a lie. The biggest lie he gives you is, yeah, you need to do something about this, just not now. Because you always think you're going to have another opportunity. There will always be another chance. Yeah, I need to do that, but I want to go out and have myself some fun right now. I want to get involved. I know when, if, I, if I become a Christian, if I do this thing, I, I'm not going to be able to keep living the way I'm living anymore. And I'm going to enjoy myself for a while. And a little bit down the road, yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll take care of the spiritual stuff and where I'm going to heaven. But I just want to have a good time right now. I want to do my own thing. And you always think there's going to be another opportunity. That's not what the Word of God says. He says, today, if you hear His voice, Harden not your heart. He says, choose you this day who you're going to serve. Because you don't come to God when you get good and ready to come to God. You, get, you come to God when a good God gets ready to come to you. You understand the Christian life is the Lord Jesus Christ and the power and the person of the Holy Spirit coming to live His life in you. And through you. So Jesus talks about this unpardonable sin. And he says, listen, when you hear the gospel message, you better pay attention. And then he tells this series of parables. He tells the first one where he talks about the different hearts upon which the gospel falls. The seed of the gospel falls. And three out of four people, according to that, the, the parable... Three out of four people say no. Or they respond in some fashion because they're hoping by, by coming to church and praying a prayer and doing something is going to help fix some of the mess they've got in their life. But they're not primarily wanting forgiveness for sin and a connection and a relationship with the Holy God. And eventually, the Scripture says through the parable, through the circumstances of life and how they live over the long haul, it's proven they were actually never born again in the Spirit of God. They made a decision to do something to fix their mess or to help them feel better, but it wasn't Jesus Christ coming to live His life in them. Being born again of the Spirit of God. So, Mark in chapter 4 begins to build on this theme. Beginning in verse 10. After that first parable that he told about the soils. But when he was alone, uh, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. The mystery is things only God Himself can reveal to you. The mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in, notice this, parables. To you has been given to understand the kingdom, but to those outside, all things come in parables. 
so that seeing they may see, but not perceive. Well, isn't that interesting? They'll see, but not understand. They hear, they may hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven. Because he's just told them, if they hear the full gospel, see the power of God, and determine it's a lie, and it's of Satan and not of God, that sin can never be forgiven. So he says, now I speak to them in parables. So they'll kind of hear the gist, but not respond. Why? Because they have committed the unpardonable sin. They've already determined this is a lie. Won't know part of it. Isn't that interesting? Why did Jesus teach in parables? We have this big misunderstanding that the primary reason that Jesus taught in parables is to give sermon illustrations, to make it easier for people to understand. No. That is not why he spoke in parables. Matthew chapter 13, verse 10, gives a little bit more expansive teaching than Mark does about this. And the disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them... It has, those that are outside who've determined what Jesus says is a lie, to them it has not been given. For whoever has, in other words, if you've heard the gospel and been receptive to the gospel, to him more will be given. Even greater understanding will be given. And he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, who determines, I don't want to hear this. I want no part of it. I just think this is, this is all garbage. I, I just, I don't care. But to whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them, the ones who hear but don't understand, to them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and not understand, seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of the people have grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. In other words, the point is, they don't want to know truth. They just want to keep living a life like they want to live. They want to believe what they want to believe. They don't care what's actually true or not. It's, uh, have you heard this phrase? Well, my truth is this. Now, you might have your own truth. You might have another truth. But my truth is this. And if your truth is working for you, that's all well and good. But this is the truth that works for me. You know what that is? A lie right from the devil. There's only one truth. You don't have your own truth. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. You know what comes to the Father? But by me. When you say you have your own truth, you know what that's called? Pride. Pride. Do you know the, the root cause of all sin? 
cry. You say, well, I don't want to go to church and have some man get up there and tell me that I got to do this and I got to do that. Hey, buddy, I want you to understand something. I'm not telling you you got to do anything. I'll tell you what the Word of God says. And the Word of God says, yeah, this is the way you got to live. Now, if you don't like it, you argue with him. Don't argue with me about the thing. I'm just telling you what he says. And incidentally, his way is the only way that really works. He's the one who designed all of life. He's the one who designed all relationships. He's designed everything. And you do it his way and it works and he gets the glory for it. You do it your way. You make a mess of things and you wind up in hell. Well, he goes on to say. For the hearts of those people have grown dull and their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes have closed. <laughs> hard of hearing, never mind. Fritz, Carlene, I love you. Penny, I love you. Forgive me for what I'm about to say. All right. Yeah. You know, I, my in-laws, you know, their, their house was had to have some repairs and they came and lived with us. You know, they stayed with us for just over a week and loved having them. It was a joy. You know, Fritz was former pastor here at the church. And, you know, Carlene, you know, great, great lady of God. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. But... Both of them have gone just about deaf. They really have. I mean, you talk to Carlene, first word of her mouth is, huh? Right? And, 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 and just, you know, and, that, that's, and then my, Robin's sister had something that happened with her ear, and she's lost about 80% of hearing in one ear and 95% of hearing in the other ear. And we get together for family dinners. Because you, then you end up repeating things not once, twice, but three or four times. You know, and that's okay. I mean, they can't help it. They can't help it. You know, and uh, they're trying. Okay, but then they're you know, and Fritz and Carlene's favorite thing is watching the 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 Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy every night. You know, and 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 which is great. You know, wonderful little game shows. Except they turn it up to two hundred and eighty-seven. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, because people have grown hard of hearing so that they can't hear. Even when someone is speaking, they can't hear it. Do you know one of the sad realities is? Now, they can't do anything to help themselves. But the reality is a lot of people come to church week after week after week, and they're here in the service, but the problem is they don't hear anything. They just don't hear. Don't hear. And I'm not just talking about lost people. I'm talking about my brothers and sisters in Christ. You know how I know they don't hear? This always drives me nuts, but it happens all the time. There's very few weeks it doesn't happen. When people come up to me and say, Preacher, you know, I was listening to so-and-so on TV this week, another preacher, and you know, they said something really, really spoke to me. So what was it? And they, they tell me what they just heard that other preacher say. And I'm thinking, I've said that same thing 12 times in the last, you know, six months. Yeah, where were you when, when, that, you know, when that happened? It, that happens all the time, you know? Or, or someone would come up and say, you know, Brother Tim, I was thinking about something. I said, well, what was it? And they start telling me about something they were thinking in the Bible. And I said, yeah, I know why you were thinking that, because I've said it a bunch of times, where, where, but it's finally somewhere connected. 
we, we sit and we hear sometimes, and it all becomes white noise. Static. Jesus said, their ears are hard of hearing and they have their eyes. There are some people, you just can't help it. And I understand all of us have attention spans. And I'm a long-winded preacher. And I know, I know it's really hard to stay tuned in for about 45 minutes. Okay, I get that. I understand that. I'm just hoping there's enough that gets in there that's going to make a difference. But there are some people that enter with a heart that's already prepared to say, I don't care. I'm here for this reason or that reason, but I don't care. Their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes are closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I would heal them. But blessed, here's the good part, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For surely I say to you, that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you... The Old Testament prophets would have given anything to be able to have experienced what we've experienced on this side of the cross. And they did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. None of those people in the Old Testament ever heard the New Testament. They didn't have it. We do. We've got the full teaching about the Holy Spirit. We've got the full teaching about salvation. we got the full teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. we got the full teaching of the kingdom of God. We've got it! But most people don't care. I've thrown out the statistics twice now in the last week. I'm going to throw it out one more time. I listened to a seminar two weeks ago online about how to reach millennials, younger people. And there's a lot I could share with you about that seminar. It blew me away. Scared me to death. But one of the statistics, the most recent, for South Carolina, you North Carolina people, you know, you got probably different there. Y'all got different people. But, but South Carolina people, 79% of South Carolinians are unchurched. 80% of all people that live in South Carolina never go to church. 80% never go to church. Of the 20% that do, only 10% of them only go once a month. So only 10% of people who live in South Carolina go to church more than once a month. And we wonder why we're in the mess we're in? Now, of those who go to church, the 10% that go to church on a regular basis, our best statistics are at least 50% of them are lost. Of those who attend church on a regular basis, at least 50% of them have never been born again of the Spirit of God. You know what that tells us? Out of the population of South Carolina, only 5% are Christians. I'm not talking about Baptists. I'm talking only 5% are Christians. 
5%. Why are they lost? Number one reason. Because the 5% that are saved have never shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. If 80% of them never even go to church, how are they going to hear the gospel? 80% don't even go to church. Don't even go to church, period. Not once. So how are they going to hear the gospel? The only way they're ever going to hear the gospel if those of us that are saved go out there where they are and share the gospel. Nobody is saved apart from hearing the Word. Nobody is saved apart from hearing the Word. I can't possibly be right. Yeah, I understand too. <laughs> yeah, y'all hear that? <laughs> All right. Siri's not listening. She's hearing but not understanding. All right. Just like some in this room. What an illustration. Can't write that one down. All right. Now, I'm going to hurry. I'm going to hurry through these next paragraphs. I want to, I want to tie all this together. Mark tied it together, so it's important you hear it together. So I'm going to go fast. Listen quickly. Mark chapter 4, verse 21. Also he said to them, now he's given this series of parables, building on the first parable, and he tells them the way you understand parables, for those of us that can understand, those that he gives ears to hear, he says the first parable about the parable of the soils is the template by which you understand all the parables that he teaches. He explains that parable to them, and I, we talked about the explanation for that parable, and he says, you take how you understand this parable and how I laid it out, and he says, this is how you understand all parables. Then he gives some more parables. Beginning in verse 21 of chapter 4. Also he said to them, Is a lamp bought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? Now by the way, I've shown you some pictures from Israel. Let me show you this. The lamp. Have you ever wondered what an oil lamp looks like from Israel in Jesus' day? I'll show you one that is from Israel. It was an archaeological find. This is from the 4th century. Okay? From the 4th century. You can tell it's got a little soot there on the end where it's actually been used by some household. This is what, when it refers to a lamp, anytime in the Bible, when it, when it talks about a lamp, this is what it looks like. This is what it, when it talks about the parable of the ten virgins who needed oil for their lamps and all those kind of things. This is it. You would pour the oil in here. You have a wick in here. And you light it. And so that's what the oil lamps look This is an actual historical thing. Okay? This is an archaeological thing. This is, a, this is not a copy. This is the real deal. Okay, I've got a certificate of authenticity that verifies this is authentic. Okay? Alright. So that's what he's talking about. Right here. So let me put this up before I knock it over and am greatly saddened. <laughs> All right. 
Alright, now. He says, is a lamp bought to be put under a basket? Or in a box? No. Or under a bed? Is it not set on a lampstand? He says, you have the light. What is the light? Number one, Christ. He's the light of the world. Number two, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, you've been given the gospel. Connected to the parable of chapter 4, uh, 3, and he talks about the seed. Now he says the lamb. It's the gospel. It's the truth of Jesus Christ. What he did to obtain our salvation through his sinless life, substitutionary atoning death, burial, and resurrection. For there is nothing hidden which will not be... When the light's out there, when you put the light, shine the light, everything that was in the darkness is revealed. Nor has anything been kept secret, but it should come to the light. In other words, the gospel exposes who we are. Who are we? Sinners. For all of sin to come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. How? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he says, if anyone has ears to hear, you got to have ears to hear. It's up to the Holy Spirit of God to open your mind, your heart, your will to be able to hear. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now that's Because not everyone has ears to hear. Then he said to them, Take heed to what you hear. Boy, that's a whole other sermon. I want to preach that one. Take heed to what you hear. Do you know the reason some people will not be able to hear truth? Because they've been listening to so many lies. They haven't been sitting under truth. They've been sitting under lies. Some don't come into church, so all they hear is what the world says. Some come into church, but the truth of the Word isn't taught. The truth of the Word isn't given. You hear opinions. You hear Scripture being interpreted through culture and given slants based on what the culture says, not what the Word of God actually says. The sad reality is those, those 20% that come to church a good number of them will go to church but never hear the genuine gospel of Jesus Christ. And then those that even get saved will never be fed enough of the actual Word of God that they can really grow and develop in their sanctification and grow to become what God would have them to be because they're not hearing truth. I want you to understand something, friend. When the day comes, that I do not preach truth. I hope God just takes me out. I mean, I do. Because I have to one day stand before Him to give an account for everything I've ever said or done as your pastor. I understand that. And you're going to live your lives. You're going to come to believe things a lot of times just because you trust Brother Tim and this is what Brother Tim said about what this passage of Scripture means. I understand that. God forbid I ever lead you astray in anything. I mean, I'm serious about that. My heart's desire is to present to you Jesus Christ and His Word. And that alone. He says, so be careful what you hear. 
Be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you listen to. With the same measure that you use, it will be measured to you again. In other words, with the measure that you give yourself to studying the Word and trying to hear the Word and understand the Word, it will be, be measured back to you and then more in abundance, he says. And to you who hear, more will be given. If you really just give yourself to coming to understand God and His Word, He'll give you that. And He'll give you even more. But don't think all you can do is just show up in church on a Sunday morning and you're going to get everything you need. That can't happen. It's a daily walk. It's daily time with God and His Word. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Parable number two. The kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night, rise by day, and the seed would sprout and grow, and he himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself. First the blade, then the hand, then the full grain of, uh, of the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts the sickle because the harvest has come. Bottom line on the meaning of that parable is there's power in the gospel and it alone to save. You don't have to add to it. Your job as a Christian is to go sow the seed. What happens with it from that point, that's between that person and God. A farmer just goes sows the seed. He doesn't know, he doesn't know how that seed germinates and does all the, What causes the seed to do what it does in order to sprout up? Don't know. I don't need to know. All I need to know is, got to plant the seed. Your job and my job, go share the gospel. Give the seed. What happens after that? That's up to the Lord. But you've got the responsibility to go sow. Go do it. Leave whatever happens to Him. Don't feel... You have to have a training session to learn how to convince people to get saved. Five techniques to use to convince someone to be saved. No! <laughs> no, 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 no. So many people are scared. I'm scared. What do I do? I can... It's not up to you to convince anybody. It's just up to you to say, this is what the gospel says. This is it. What happens there? That's up to the Lord. Okay? Just, just do it. All right? That's what that parable, parable number three. Then he said, to what shall I liken the kingdom of God? This is verse 30. Or to what parable shall we picture it? It's like a mustard seed, which when it's sown in the ground, now to them the mustard seed was the smallest seed they knew about that they planted. Yeah, mustard seed which is sown in the ground is smaller than all the seeds of the earth, but when it is sown, it grows up, becomes greater than all herbs and shoots and large branches so that the birds of the air may nest in its shade. He says, the gospel is just a little thing, but you go sow it and watch what God does with it. Watch what God does with it. There's people in this room that have been saved through the preaching of the Word here. Aaron, Taylor Ray, got saved last church just from sharing the Gospel. I wish you had a chance to know their families. Their families are awesome. They really are. Some of the greatest people I know. All right. By the way, talk about someone who knows soccer. You're, we're getting ready to do a soccer camp. 
if you need somebody, I'm telling you, you're not going to find anybody better. Than, like, get over there. All right, all right. Young man over there. All right. All right. He trained his brother. Well, never mind. But, but a little thing. All you got to do is a little thing. Little thing. Little. I mean, it's not, it's, it's not much. Just take, a, take a, the seed of the gospel. Go share it with somebody. Just go share. Don, let me ask you a question. What do you think it takes for a person to get to heaven? All right, he's giving me the right. But see, all I did is ask a question. I just asked him a question. You want to you start a conversation with somebody that kind of helps lead to the gospel? Being able to share that? Ask a question. I, I was just thinking. I was thinking about something the other day. What do you think it takes for a person to get to heaven? Listen to what they say. And then, then say, respond by saying, you know, I, I hear you, and I understand why, why you would say that. A lot of people, you know, I'm sure feel the same way. But you might want to just take just two, two, three minutes and just share with you what the Bible actually says, how we can know for sure that you're going to heaven. And then you just take three minutes and share the gospel. Right. Let me ask you. And one day we're all going to leave this world. If you were to stand before God and God was to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? Listen to his response. Then say, I hear you, buddy. Mind if I just take a couple minutes to share with you what the Word of God says? How we can know that we're going to be in heaven? That's it. That's just it. We talk about all kinds of stuff. We talk about sports. We talk about the boys. We talk about the girls. We talk about family. We talk about the Democrats. We talk about, <laughs> we talk about all that stuff. In the midst of the conversation, why don't you just insert one question that's really important. It's really important. It's eternal importance. Just ask the question. Then say, hey, mind if I just take a couple minutes to just share the gospel? I was walking through the community the other day. Ran into the guy. As we were talking, we were talking about he telling me about his life and jobs he had and this, that, and stuff. I said, hey, I just got a question. What do you think it takes for a person to get into heaven? And I listened to him and said, well, yeah. I said, I hear you. But you know, based on the response, I said, you know, but the Bible says no matter how many good things you do, it's not going to make up for even one of the bad things we did. But let me tell you what God did so that we don't have to worry about that. I just took two minutes, two minutes. Now, he didn't respond right then. But he said, you know, that's something I need to think about. I said, great. I'll come back next week to talk to you. Do you have ears to hear? How do you know if you have ears to hear? Listen to me and I'm closing. Right now, if there's any part of you that says inside, you know, based on what he just said, I'm not sure I've ever really done that. And I don't know if I've really been saved. You can be sure. That's the Holy Spirit. He's working. You wouldn't even be thinking that unless the Holy Spirit was working. Just repent of sin. 
turn away from it. Place your faith in Jesus that whenever He died on the cross, He bore your sin. Paid your sin debt. Died for you. Shed His sinless blood for you. Was buried. God raised Him from the dead to prove He accepted the price He paid for you. Just place your faith in that. You'll be saved. That faith comes from Him. You wouldn't have it apart from Him. If you're not sure. Question. Is Bible study a struggle for you? Do you read? When someone preaches, is it like I hear it, but I don't understand it? I just Does it make sense to me? That's one of the ways you can tell if you've been born again or not. Because to the ones who've been born again, the Holy Spirit lives in you, then the Holy Spirit gives you the understanding. You might still have to wrestle with it a little bit, but it gives you understanding. It gives you a desire to learn and to figure it out. If you can sit and it doesn't ever take root, doesn't do anything, you'll be saved. Have you committed the unpardonable sin? I'm hoping by the fact that you're here in this place under this kind of preaching, <laughs> you hadn't been there yet. But there is a danger in knowing you're lost and thinking you'll have another chance. There's a danger. You may not have another chance. Today, if you sense the Holy Spirit working, respond. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for our time together with you, your word. It is so powerful. I thank you for the fact someone loved me enough to share the gospel with me. And you took that and you used your gospel so that I was born again in the Spirit of God. There are many in this room who had that same experience, but there's some who haven't. Today, may your Holy Spirit deal with their hearts, help them to understand where they are spiritually, grant them the faith that's needed to understand the depth of their sin against you that gives you a, them a godly sorrow over their sin, gives them repentance of sin, a turning away from sin, faith in Jesus Christ, and a surrender of their life to Him. Acknowledging that from this moment forward, I want Him, Jesus Christ, to be in control. 